Winston Churchill, during some of the darkest days of the Second World War, made famous a statement, and I don't think it was original by him, but he made it famous nonetheless. And it's a, a statement that I don't want to say very gently. And the statement is this, never let a good crisis go to waste. Never let a good crisis go to waste. And what he meant by that statement is that in a crisis, you are sometimes challenged to do some things that you never thought about before or even thought were possible. Also, a crisis is not without opportunities. A crisis is not without opportunities. Now, if we have not been in a crisis over the past four months, it'll do until a crisis gets here. The whole world has been shut down in a pandemic. The COVID virus has shut down schools and businesses and restaurants and travel, vacation, sports, sporting events, and nursing homes. Churches did not shut down, but they did have to figure out creative ways to do worship as their people were scattered across communities. They had to be creative in figuring out ways to be the church without use of the church building. And then George Floyd was killed by police and our nation's long-standing failure to bring resolution to race and racism erupted through the country. And then the virus resurged and it has become mandatory to wear a mask whenever you're in public. And throughout, throughout all of this, the political divide in our nation has not healed itself. And at the most personal level, People have lost jobs, they have lost benefits, they've lost incomes, they've lost ways to provide for themselves and for their families. And at that same personal level, people are grieved over not being with loved ones as they, as they pass from this life to the next, or being, uh, not being able to see aged parents or, or grandparents in nursing homes or assisted living, or not being able to attend funerals. And, and families have been stressed as loved ones have gone into the hospital alone to face alone surgeries and illnesses without that family structure, without the nearness of family support. You know, if we've not been in a crisis the last four months, it'll do until a crisis gets here. And the big question for us to consider this morning is this, what kind of people are we going to be when it's over? What kind of people are we going to be when it's over? Recently, I was reading a little piece by N.T. Wright on the pandemic, and in this book, this little pamphlet that he's written on the pandemic, he mentions three historic ancient philosophical responses. I'll add a fourth, and then James, the brother of Jesus, will add a fifth. And the four are these. Stoics. We've all heard of the Stoics, the stiff upper lip, uh, not showing emotion. The idea is that everything is programmed to turn out the way that it does. You can't change it, so you have to learn how to fit in courageously. Then there's the Epicureans. You know, we have uh, versions, modern versions of this, you know, very hedonistic kind of a lifestyle. Everything is random. You can't do anything about it. So you might as well make yourself as comfortable as you can. Eat, drink, and be merry. And then after the great philosopher Plato, you have the Platonists. And the idea here is that the present life is just a shadow of reality, that everything that is material, that everything that is tangible, everything that is physical is bad, that the bad physical world is where bad things happen, but there is a good spirit world that is coming. And then the fourth is this, a karma, very ancient idea. Karma has to do with the idea that all of the suffering that we are going through now is just because it is uh, because of crimes and wrongs and injustices that we have perpetrated in the past. Everything we suffer now is just because of injustices we have done in the past. Now there is a fifth that I mentioned, and that again is from James, the brother of Jesus, who suggests James chapter one, verse two, to consider it pure joy, 
My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Mature, complete, not lacking anything. Now, it seems kind of odd to say that there's joy in trials, but that's not what is being said here. The joy is not that the trials are enjoyable because they're not. The joy is that there is a power at work in the life of a disciple of Jesus that can draw the good out of the bad. The joy is that God's presence and power can bring through a crisis a better version of a disciple. Think about how Paul says it in that famous Romans chapter 8, verse 28 verse. He says, and we know that in all things. Now that, let's stop right there just for a second. All things. It's not that Christians experience some things or kept from all things. We too, like everyone else in creation, experience all things. We know that in all things, God works for the good, <coughs> works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The challenge for a disciple in the middle of a crisis is to become more trusting of God. The challenge for a disciple in a crisis is to become more aware of God's presence, to experience more peace because of the Lord's nearness, to have a more complete understanding, a mature understanding of the kingdom of God and how it operates in the life of a disciple and how it operates in creation, to have a more mature spirituality as we draw closer to God and he draws closer to us, to know that in all things, God is at work in the lives of his people and in creation. You know, some, some years ago, a very, very good friend of mine survived a cancer scare, a very serious cancer scare. And he has often said that he never, ever, ever wanted to go through that kind of, of, of physical harrowing experience ever again. But he would not trade the experience of drawing near to God, the sense of God's nearness for anything, a sense that persists in his life to this very day. But here's the problem. Humans are awful forgetful. Humans are awful forgetful. We forget some of the most important things in, in our lives. Humans are big forgetters, and because we're big forgetters, we often become big repeaters of the past life. Now, there's a very famous quote from C.S. Lewis's book, The Problem of Pain, which I, I want to read to you. I've read it to you in the past. I want to read a piece of it to you right now. And I quote, I am progressing along the path of life in my ordinary, contentedly fallen and godless condition when suddenly a stab of abdominal pain that threatens serious disease or a headline in the newspapers that threatens us all with destruction. At first, I am overwhelmed and all my happinesses look like broken toys. And perhaps by God's grace, I succeed and for a day or two become a creature consciously dependent on God. But the moment the threat is withdrawn, my whole nature leaps back to the toys. Let him sheath that sword for a moment, and I behave like a puppy when the hated bath is over. I shake myself as dry as I can and race off to reacquire my comfortable dirtiness, if not in the nearest manure heap, at least in the nearest flower bed. End of quote. As you know, Ellen and I have a German shepherd, big German shepherd who is stoic when it comes to the dreaded bath. She is patient as the water and soap are applied, but as soon as she senses that we are done, she hops out of the little kiddie pool that we bathe her in, she shakes the water, soaking Ellen and I to the bone, and then heads off to the nearest flower bed to lay down in the dirt and to get back to the full-time job of being a dog. And Ellen has said often, a lot of good that did. 
How many times have you found yourself in a crisis and experienced a spiritual renewal only to have gone back to the old habits, to the old behaviors, to the old thought life, to the old appetites when the crisis passed? Some years ago, there was a good friend of mine that experienced a crisis at work, and it just rocked his world. It shattered his life, shattered his confidence, and he and he and he and he came to a place where, in humility, he realized he realized that he was not the man that God wanted him to be. And then, uh, there were, there were two of us that began working with him on a weekly basis of prayer and of talking, and he began to to grow spiritually, and he began to desire God, or at least we thought. And when the crisis was over. And when he no longer had to face his own shame and he had to, to deal with his own actions and, and could, could leave that in the past, he unfortunately returned. He forgot the crisis and he returned to those, those past ways of living, those past ways of thinking, those, those past appetites. Here is something that we're going to talk about later, but I want you to think about it now. Enduring changes require intentional actions. Enduring changes require intentional actions. Now, again, we're going to talk about that later, but in the few minutes that I have left, I want to identify two areas where I think the current crisis, this pandemic, might actually provide the opportunities for God to bring out of the bad something good. And the first one is this, family and friends. You know, many people have rediscovered the importance of relationships through this pandemic. I read a recent article in The Atlantic by a working mom who contemplated and, and was thinking about and describing the joy of spending more time with her kids and contemplating how this pandemic is going to change her as a mom for the better. Christians who have maybe not thought at all or very deeply about the importance of relationships in the church family, of how important fellowship is in, in our spiritual life and in kingdom life, have realized now just how precious these relationships are with how the pandemic has affected worship and activities and gatherings back at the church building. Conversely, though, many people have discovered some chips. They've discovered some cracks. They've discovered some dents in the most important relationships that they have. I think we've heard the prognostications that the divorce lawyers are going to be super busy when the pandemic is over. Perhaps. But here's the thing about troubled relationships. Stress in no way improves them. Stress does not improve a troubled relationship. Stress is always highlight the weaknesses. Stress is always bring to the forefront the weaknesses. And the virus, this virus, may serve as a wake-up call to address what's going on with your most important people. Now, you know what a wake-up call is, right? A wake-up call is different from just waking up naturally. A wake-up call is an intentional action to keep you from missing something important. A wake-up call is what keeps you from sleeping through something that is incredibly important to you. My, my personal wake-up call happened when I was 18 years old. I was going 128 miles an hour in the back seat of a Pontiac Trans Am without seat belts and with a slightly inebriated driver behind the wheel. It was at the 18 years of age that I was forced and I received my wake-up call to consider what my life had become and what I needed to do about that. This pandemic is a wake-up call to the relationships that we have with family, that we have with friends, that we have with colleagues and with workmates. Uh, just think, you know, 10 years down the road, you can look back 10 years and you might be able to say, during this pandemic, I saw the trouble. I could no longer ignore the issues and I was forced to work on my relationship with my spouse 
or I was forced to work on my relationship with my kid or with my parent. I mean, you fill in the blank. And with God's help, these relationships were not just salvaged, but they were blessed. And I never, ever, ever, ever want to go through another pandemic as long as I live, but I would not trade the blessing that came out of it for anything. Well, the first area that the pandemic may be an opportunity for God to bring good out of the bad is family and friends. The second is faith. The pandemic can serve as a moment of clarity for all things spiritual. What has the pandemic revealed to me about my own spiritual life? Is it profound and deep and rich? Or am I an inch deep and a mile wide? What has the pandemic revealed about my security in God? Do I really place my security in God, both feet in the kingdom of God? Or do I have a foot in the world or do I have, and I have a foot with God? What has the pandemic revealed about my relationship with his people? Are the people of God, the, the church, our spiritual family, God the Father, we are the brothers and sisters, are those people important to me? What has the pandemic revealed about what I think heaven is all about, what it looks like? What will, what will be going on and who will be there? And does that have any bearing, any impact on the way that I live my life today? I believe that the power of God in our lives through the presence of the Holy Spirit is one of the greatest gifts a human being could ever imagine receiving in a fallen world of viruses and violence. That power comes to us in love, through a cross, from an ever-present Father, in abundance, patiently it abides, gently it falls upon our souls, it draws us into the light, it fills us with joy and peace as it reminds us that we are not alone in all the universe. You know, one of the incredible things about our faith is that we are people of faith today and we know about the gospel because there were people that made enduring changes to their life through intentional actions during a rough period where lives were at stake and lives were threatened and they decided that they would be disciples of Jesus and by God's power not only survive those persecutions but pass the faith on 2,000 years down the road. And when I think about them, I think about the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We're in a crisis, pandemic. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. May God bless you and have a great week.